Hello and welcome back to the Strong for Everyday podcast with me, Femi Olatoye. Strong for Everyday is a platform that is designed to empower mums to feel their very best throughout their motherhood journey, whether that is preconception, pregnancy, postnatally and going into the menopause. We want all mums to feel supported and loved and heard as they go through the different stages in life and that's why our platform provides information in all areas of women's health, from nutrition to mindset, fitness, and everything to do with women's health physio. You can check us out at strongforeveryday.club. In today's episode, I'll be talking to Claire Gleave, who is a mum of three, an avid marathon runner, and the founder of newly launched activewear brand, Natal Active, a brand designed for pregnant mums and mums post-birth who love to stay active, We're talking all things to do with running as Claire talks about how she got into marathon running before having her boys and then running through pregnancies and realising that after her third birth, she actually suffered from prolapse and how she had to advocate for herself to get the right care so that she could return to running comfortably. I really enjoyed the chat with Claire and I really hope that you do too. If you do enjoy this episode, please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe to this podcast leave us a review and share it with other friends. I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. So feel free to share a screenshot on your Instagram and tag us in it. You can tag me at Femi underscore Olatoye at Strong For Every Day or you can also tag Claire at NATO Active on Instagram. Hi Claire, welcome to the Strong for Everyday podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. So why don't you tell the people a little bit about yourself? Okay, so I am a mum of three. I'm 40 years old now, not that I like to admit that very often (laughs) these days. Um, Yeah, I've got three boys. So I, I had three boys in four years. So there's four years between them. They're now, well, one of them turns nine tomorrow, um, seven and four. Um, so I've got 18 months between my first two and then we had about two and a half years gap before the number three because number two puts off <laughs> for a while. <laughs> he sort of, he was the tricky baby, shall we say. Not enough to not have a third, but. <laughs> and had you always planned to have three? Yes, I'm one of three and so is my husband. So I'm the oldest of three um, with a big gap between two and three and he's the youngest um, and there's eight years between him and the middle brother. Um, So we both always wanted to have three, but we always wanted to have them close together. Um, So we didn't necessarily quite anticipate having the first two quite so close together. Um, But that was fine, hard, but it was okay. Um, but then we sort of said, right, actually, let's see if we can <laughs> aim to have two school years between each of them. So they're kind of all out the other end at the same time. And that kind of worked out for us. So we were quite lucky in that respect. I love that plan. <laughs> yeah, it worked really well. <laughs> we were really lucky yeah. with trying for number three, that's for sure. Okay, so then you already said they were all under the age of four by the time you had your third one. Yes. What was that like? Yeah, it was pretty crazy. So my oldest had just turned four and my youngest was born the week before he started school. So it was a really 
bizarre time because we'd sort of moved house a couple of months before we were in a completely new area so we didn't really know anybody and then um suddenly I was back to the newborn baby stage and then seeing my oldest start school which is as any mum of a school-aged child knows is a really emotional time not least when you're in that whole you know new baby hormones one week later so yeah it was it was really full-on to be honest a lot of it is a bit of a blur now when I look back it feels like quite a long time ago um but you know it was a lot of having to be up every day suddenly into that routine that we had the luxury of being at home when I had my second because the young the oldest was only one and a half but suddenly you have to be up at half past seven every day because you've got to get to school and you know you've then got a screaming baby that you're trying to breastfeed in the playground while sorting out lunch boxes that have fallen on the floor. And, you know, that sort of stereotypical juggling that you have to do with three young children. Yeah, it was, it was a very full on time really. But fun yeah. as well. <laughs> That's not to put anyone off because obviously you love them very much. <laughs> absolutely. I was, wouldn't change it for the world. Definitely. And how did you feel about yourself in that period? You know, like, you're obviously very, very busy looking after three boys and I'm not saying looking after your husband, but, you know, um, yeah. looking after your household as well. How was that on you mentally? So it's funny because I think when I was going through, I was very fortunate. I didn't ever have any issues with sort of postnatal depression or, or anything like that. But when I look back on it now, and now my youngest has just started school, so he's four. Um, and I think it's almost been the shift of him starting school where I've seen that difference in having in me and my life having three such young children. So I had a quite high flying career before I had my family. Um, I worked in the city, I worked in financial services. So I had that kind of stereotypical, you know, you go out on a Friday afternoon and you're having wine and big lunches and meetings and all these things that make you feel sort of busy and important. And then and then I stopped that up when I was on my maternity leave with my second, I took voluntary redundancy um, and decided to be at home. I did odd bits of consulting work. Um, I worked in marketing actually. So I did some marketing consultancy, little bits here and there, but really was largely a stay at home mum. And when I look back now to that period, particularly of having my third, where you are at that point, all in. I mean, there, there is very little headspace for anything else. I really see how I, do, I suppose maybe lost myself is, is the right word. You know, uh, you're suddenly in your hoodies all the time and your scrappy jeans with holes in because you're, you know, you're not necessarily putting yourself first. To me, I was always very conscious of wearing nice clothes and how I looked and I was never ever in flat shoes until I had children <laughs> you know I was always the girl in heels and my NCT group used to laugh at me because they said I'd rock up to the NCT meetings with my heels on straight from work and suddenly I was like in trainers all the time and it was a whole world away from the old me um, but it's now that I really see it whereas I think I was just you're almost existing, I think, sometimes at that point, because you're just trying to juggle everything that comes with having three such young children. And then obviously, like my youngest, my oldest, sorry, then 
having to learn to read and write and all the things that they start to do when they're in reception. So, yeah, it was, it's a big juggle, and it still is a big juggling act. It's just different now. Easier in some ways, harder in others, I suppose. I can imagine that. I mean, I'm a mum of one, and I feel that sort of loss of self, uh, or I had felt it, and then, like you say, after a couple of years almost, you start to think, actually, I... I did lose myself a little bit, you know, I, I did just exist. I did just survive. Yes, definitely. You sort definitely. of do thing that you need to do to get, get from one day to another. Yeah, exactly. And, and you have days where you feel like, oh, this is the old me and I'm coping and this is great. And then you have days where your child does nothing but have meltdowns and tantrums and you think, oh my gosh, <laughs> how did I ever do anything grown up when I can't even cope with a screaming child and get them to put their shoes on you know it's that sort of thing really yeah I can imagine that and I mean you are quite an avid runner were you an avid runner before you had your boys yeah I was so I took up running in my early 20s so I um I'd sort of always gone to the gym a bit at university and but I was never a sporty person um, which now people find quite strange, but I was always the girl at school that either had her period or forgot her pee bag or left a trainer at home. You know, I, I really hated sport. And I think the reason I didn't like sport at school was because it's very team focused. And actually I enjoyed it, but I was just not very good at it. And so then people don't want you on your team and then you lose the enjoyment for doing something. Um, so I sort of started, you know, doing ad hoc bits of keep fit as you do step aerobics or whatever when I was at um, university. And then when I was sort of in, I must have been in my mid early mid-twenties, my, um, my boyfriend, who is now my husband, um, ran the London Marathon with one of his friends for um, a leukaemia care charity. And I went to watch it. And although I lived in London, I'd never really had much interest in the marathon. And I went along and it was the most inspirational thing. And I say to anyone now, go and watch the London Marathon, even if you're never going to run it, fine. But you watch the people that are running it. And yes, you've got the elite runners at the front and you've got the guys that are going to get their three, three and a half hour times or what have you. But there were people with disabilities running. There were old people overweight people you know skinny people there was such a a huge mix of people that were taking on this challenge and you know they have about 40,000 runners I mean it even gives me goosebumps now thinking about it because it was just it was just incredible to watch and a couple of weeks later we were talking about it over a few bottles of wine with some friends and I went right I'm gonna run the marathon next year and they were like yeah all right so I am a bit single-minded if I want to do something and put my mind to it. So I said, no, I'm going to run it next year. And because I worked for a bank, I was really lucky because they gave you quite a lot of funding because, of course, the charity places, are, uh, you know, they're either hard to come by or you have to raise a lot of money. And I think we had some charity places through the bank and they gave you some money towards it as well. So that helped with the fundraising. And in the September... I started running and I lived in Greenwich at the time and I sort of, you know, started trying to do kind of two, three miles around Greenwich Park and I used to have to walk most of it and couldn't get the whole way around. And then one day I could run the whole park and then I could do it twice. 
And it's almost, I always say to people that I feel like running is one of the hardest sports to get into because it is really hard at the beginning and it puts a lot of people off. But actually when you get past that first bit of getting to the three or four mile point, actually you can kind of just keep going, you know, obviously you build up, but, um, I mean, one of my friends I used to work with always used to say I was like Forrest Gump. And, and I think I'm supposed to, I'm a little bit like that because I'm not the fastest runner. I'm a roughly four hour marathoner, give or take a few minutes, but I can just run for a really long time and I like doing it. So yeah, I, I really found my passion in running. And, and again, because the bank sponsored me, I was then able to do a lot of charity places. So I think I've now done I think it's nine or 10 London marathons and I've done two Stratford marathons, but I've done, been able to do the London marathon a number of times because of the support I had from the bank back in the day. And then I've had a few ballot places as well. So I've been quite lucky with those. Wow. So maybe avid runner is not even, uh, doesn't even do it justice. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So that's 11 marathons. and I'm sure a ton of half marathons and 10 Ks. Yes. Lots of those as well. Yeah. Great. Um, did you complete all of those before you had your boys or? No, so I don't know. I should have probably thought before today, uh, before I spoke to you, what the numbers were, but I definitely done, I don't know, say maybe six or seven before I had my first son. And then, um, I think I deferred a place that I'd got in the ballot when I was pregnant with him. Um, and I must've, I can't remember the exact timings now, but I did, I definitely, I did another marathon in between. Oh, that was it. Sorry. So I had done a number of marathons before I had my first. I then deferred my place that I got in the ballot when I was expecting him because I was quite heavily pregnant at that point and to do the following year. And um, that was going to be then my first post baby marathon. So I was kind of training and um, whatnot. And I had got quite far in my training very sadly, before I'd started really picking up the mileage, actually become un unexpectedly pregnant and lost the baby very early on. So my son must have only been about six months old at the time. And, um, you know, it was very sad at the time, but it was very early. And I always feel that experience doesn't really compare to, you know, a lot of people's experience of miscarriage. But I then um, carried on my training and thought, we'll think about another trying again after the marathon. So I then got into my training program and I ran um, the Banbury 15 race, a 15 mile race um, where I used to live. And at the end of it, felt really, really dizzy. And I thought, oh God, this is really strange. I'd run like a really good time. I was really pleased. And one of my friends jokingly said to me, oh, you're not pregnant again, are you? And I went, no, oh, oh, I wonder if I am. And lo and behold, I was pregnant. So I thought, oh, okay. And I think it would have made me about eight weeks along at the London Marathon. So I went to talk to my doctor about it and said, look, I found I'm pregnant. I've had this miscarriage only a couple of months before. And, um, you know, I'm training for the marathon. I've been running this whole time. I'm a little bit concerned though. And she said, to be honest, running a marathon won't make you miscarry your baby. As long as you're sensible, if it's hot, you slow down, you know, you don't push it too hard. She said, but running the marathon, as long as you're, you know, as a, sort of seasoned runner as you are it won't make you miscarry however if you were to miscarry 
and you think you'd blame yourself, then you shouldn't do it. And I thought, okay, I, I actually wouldn't blame myself. I think that's, you know, sometimes that happens. It happened to me before and, and I hadn't been running to that level. So I took the view that I would go and do it. And actually then quite sadly, on the Saturday afternoon before the marathon on the Sunday, I'd gone into town and I was getting all my, you know, you put your, get your stickers to put on your t-shirt with your name on. And I started to feel, you know, when you get that feeling of a cold coming on and I thought, oh, here we go. Typical the day before the marathon. And by the evening I was so poorly and I had a really high temperature and, um, I kept waking up in the night because I thought if I wasn't pregnant, I probably would have done it anyway. But I knew that a temperature was the one thing that meant I couldn't run while I was pregnant. So I literally every hour that night was taking my temperature, thinking, has it come down? Can I run tomorrow? Has it come down? And by the morning it hadn't. And my friend that I was traveling to London with, I had to ring her up and say, I've got to pull out. I can't do it. So I was devastated because I've always wanted to say I ran a marathon <laughs> pregnant, but I couldn't. And then I did then my next one. I think my second son was about a year and a half old before I then managed to do it again. So, and then I've sort of intermittently done other ones since then. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That would have been a story to tell running a marathon pregnant. Yeah, it would have been nice. It would have been nice. One, one to tick off the list. Yeah. Yeah. But how is it running, you know, being pregnant? So I had different experiences with each of my pregnancies. Um, so with my first, I just kind of kept it up probably to about 32 weeks. Wow. But I think by that point, it was certainly more of a, a waddle or a very slow run. Um, and when I say I was still running, I mean, by that point, I was probably doing 5K at the most and, you know, a bit of run walking. Um, I found that after the, by, by about that point, it just became uncomfortable. I was needing the toilet all the time. I didn't live in a particularly rural um, place where I would run. So I, I just decided to stop and I carried on with swimming and spinning and other things to keep my fitness up. Then with my second pregnancy, I had to stop by about 27 weeks, I think, from memory. And that was just, I found um, my hips just really hurt. And um, I didn't, you know, my, my stomach always felt a bit uncomfortable. And it just felt, it just didn't feel right. And I think you just know when you're kind of pushing yourself into something you shouldn't really be doing. And, you know, her running is high impact and not everybody can do it far into their pregnancy um, and I think you have to really know in yourself whether it's right to continue or not so I stopped and, and again just did more low impact so spinning is great um, and, and swimming fantastic so I just carried those on until I could you know after he was born and actually with my third pregnancy I ran to about 37 weeks so by that point we lived really rurally so I could stop all the time for wees and um and again I was probably just doing two or three miles at that point and, and a pretty slow pace I didn't have my apple watch back in those days so I didn't really 
you know, like now I'm really conscious of how many minutes a mile I'm running, whereas I didn't really pay a lot of attention to it then. Um, but I had a route where I could run in through the fields, but there would always be cut off. So if I felt uncomfortable, I could just cut it short. Um, you know, and then if I felt good, I'd do five miles. And if I didn't feel so good, I could just go and do one mile if I wanted to. Um, but I did a lot of running in that pregnancy, probably more than any of them. Um, I live um, in, in sort of one of the highest points of the Cotswolds now. So I'd be running up this massive hill with my big bump, you know, and people would be walking with all their sticks, looking at me as if I was crazy. But I just felt really good. Like, you know, I had a really, I, I was very lucky. I had very easy pregnancies really with all of them. Um, but yeah, he was the one that... I, was almost running into the delivery suite with him <laughs> I mean that's amazing to hear that you were running throughout all three pregnancies um and also really good you know for your first pregnancy that your doctor actually said to you that you know you you would be able to carry on running because you are a seasoned runner because I think there is a lot of you know not misinformation about running during pregnancy but usually the advice is very much like you know be quite gentle during your pregnancy definitely no running no high impact stuff yeah you know, you have a lot of people sort of saying that to you that you know why are you still running you know yes would you be running yeah a lot of people would make comments like that but generally people that didn't really know anything about running mm -hmm. so you know I think there was a sort of feeling of like you're going to shake the baby out or, you know, it's going to, it, you're going to cause a miscarriage because it's such a vigorous activity or what if you fall or this that, and the other. Um, and, you know, I understand people's concerns when they don't really get it. And it would always be very interesting when I was running with a really visible bump, because one time I went down our village high street here, and I think they were American because Americans are always really enthusiastic about everything. And they were like cheering and whooping and clapping their hands. And I was like a bit embarrassed, but a bit pleased as well, because I thought that's really nice. Whereas usually you kind of get sort of the old ladies looking at you as if, you know, you're crazy. And, and actually a bit of a feeling or a sense from people that you're doing it to put yourself first ahead of what's best for your child. And that attitude always made me really quite angry because yes, it's something that you want to do for you. And yes, you think you want to keep active in your pregnancy because you don't want to gain excessive amounts of weight and you don't want, you know, all, all the sort of downsides that come with not keeping fit and active when you can. And obviously not everybody can. Um, but I wouldn't do it if I thought there was a danger to my child by doing it because of course my child's a priority. And that assumption that you'd go into doing something like an, any kind of exercise without researching first whether it's safe to do it is is quite frustrating because they're not really thinking very much of you as a person or as a mum if you're if they're thinking like that about your approach to things I suppose. I, I, I absolutely agree I think you know the societal norm is that once you're pregnant you don't exist it's all about the baby and you're you know you're the incubator of you know of the baby that that you have to do everything to keep that baby healthy even if it's at the detriment of your own you know mental health yes definitely and, you know obviously you running it is it, i'm sure it wasn't just about the physical for you i'm sure it wasn't just about you know trying to stay fit and active 
because of vanity, right? I'm sure it was because no. you love it. And for your mental health, I'm sure it's, it's a great release. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, my, my husband will be the first person to kick me out the door to go for a run if I'm in a bad mood because the impact it has on, on your emotional well-being, and, and we all know what it's like when you're pregnant, your hormones, you're up and down all over the place, um, you know, it is emotionally a really tough time because, you know, your hormones are changing, your body's changing, your whole life, particularly the first baby you have, is is changing and you don't really know at that point what to expect. And then with two and three, you know what to expect and that doesn't actually make it much easier. But, you know, running is, to me, is something that was very consistent or exercise is a very consistent thing in my life um, that, that keeps me emotionally in check and, and does really good things for me in that regard too, definitely. So tell me about how long you waited to go back to running after having your babies. Um, so after my first baby, I went for my first run three weeks later. So I did not pay attention to the advice and I thought I knew better. I'd had a forceps delivery with him. So it was by no means a smooth labor, but I was, and, and I'll admit this, I was very much determined to, I felt like I wanted to prove I was still me after having this baby. I was going to bounce back in every possible way. And I am, I haven't changed. I'm just a mum, but I've got this baby and, and that's fine. It'll fit around me and, and it'll be great. And I, so, and running was one of those things. So I went for my first run and I felt like my insides were about to fall out. Like nothing down there was right in any respect to be going running. And I really quickly realized that, that, you know, I just didn't have, I didn't really know at that point very much about pelvic floor strength. So you get told about Kegel exercises and do you squeezes. Um, and that was as much as I knew. So a friend of mine used to say, oh, I do mine every time I'm at the traffic lights. So that's when I do them. And I was a bit lazy about doing them. And it just didn't feel right, you know. And so I thought, okay, it's maybe a bit soon. And I went away and then probably, I don't know, maybe a month or so after that, I started again. Um, and I didn't have any issues at that point at all. I got back into running then and it was fine. Um, after my second, I was a bit more cautious because I knew, um, you know, what had happened the first time around. Had a much easier labor the second time, but he was nine pounds, eight ounces. So not a small baby. Um, so I took my time coming back the second time around, but again, built it up. I never had really any issues with my pelvic floor or anything like that. So I, and actually I always felt very much that being fit and active was really why that was to me, problems with pelvic floor meant um, incontinence problems. And I didn't have that. So it wasn't until then I had my third baby um, where I, I then suffered a prolapse and that then changed everything for me in terms of running for that period after he was born. When did you find out that you had a prolapse? So did you, you know, did, were you, I've not had a prolapse and obviously I know a little bit about it, but did you have a feeling after you gave birth, you know, did they check you after you gave birth and they were like, oh, actually you suffered a prolapse or, you know, was it sort of a continued, you felt the heaviness, the dragon, and you thought, right, I've got to see someone about this. 
it was it was about a week or so later from memory over definitely within the first two weeks so um i uh, if i was checked afterwards it wasn't picked up um but as i said i didn't notice it immediately and it was only um it, like I said, about two week or two later, where I had this sort of strange feeling, felt like a tamp, like a tampon coming out, and I thought, what is that? And actually, when I checked, it was very visible. Um, you know, you could see it. So I was horrified. I didn't know that could happen. I didn't know anything about it. Like I say, to me, if you had a any problems with your pelvic floor that meant that you wet yourself and I still wasn't having and I've never had that problem actually um, which is something I always feel quite strongly about telling people because now I look back and think well actually was there damage done from my first two labors that I just was never aware of because you don't get any kind of women's health check as a matter of course and so I wouldn't have known and I wouldn't have thought to look because I wasn't having any problems with leakage. So I, I saw this and thought, oh my God, I was just horrified and devastated. And I did a bit of research, which is probably the worst thing you can do is go on Dr. Google. <laughs> and it basically says, you know, you can't run. That's the worst thing you can do. At which point, you know, I've just told you about running all the way through my pregnancy. And I'm thinking, gosh, have I been making this worse and making this happen to me that whole nine months with no realization that that's what I was doing to myself. Actually, I'd had to have a manual placenta removal with my third baby because my placenta got stuck. Um, and basically it's, it is for want of a better way of putting it, a doctor putting his arm up there and scraping it out. And, and I think that probably also caused some damage. Um, but I was really ashamed and embarrassed about it. And it took me well over a week before I could even tell my husband because I just couldn't believe that that had happened to me. And he was great and really supportive. And I went to go and make an appointment with a gynecologist local to us and um and had a really negative experience actually mm -hmm. um she just was very dismissive and really like well you've i mean maybe the baby was maybe a month or six weeks old at that point you know you've only just had this child firstly you shouldn't be carrying him in the car seat i didn't know you shouldn't be lifting stuff but uh, you know obviously i sort of brought him in from the car park um and she basically said, you won't be able to run again. Like running's over for you, unfortunately. You'll, you'll never be running again. And really, we won't even consider surgery until you're a year postpartum. And I was like, well, hang on a minute. Surgery is the last thing I want. I mean, already I'd read the horror stories about women that have had pelvic floor reconstruction and, and how badly that had been handled. And I really met, uh, she made me feel whether her intention was this or not, that actually what I cared about was how it looked and not about anything else. And that couldn't have been further from the truth, actually. It was a very dispiriting experience that. God, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that because um, it, it just sort of reaffirms the purpose of Strong for Every Day because that's not what should be happening in the world of women's health, in the world of, you know, 
of a new mum, right? You know, that's the last thing that you want to be hearing. You, you know, you're scared. You're like you said, you're embarrassed. I'm sure it took a lot for you. You said it took you a week to talk to your husband about it. So then let alone talk to a stranger. And that's the experience that you have. Yeah, it was awful. It was really, really upsetting. And um, it was at that point that I really then started to research and try and understand and, you know, what I could do for myself. And I kind of put the idea, obviously, when she said I couldn't run again, that to me was more devastating than anything, because it's been such a big part of my life for such a long time. And I almost just had to put feelings about running completely on the back burner. And I I continued once I'd sort of got past the six week point, I started exercising again, very low impact. I was very, very conscious of anything that might aggravate it. Um, But I, I felt like I needed to still do something. So spinning was great because it's just sitting and you're not sort of aggravating it. But it was difficult because I would have days where it could be really painful and really uncomfortable. And and I'd have other days where it wasn't so bad. And I just started to really research different ways that I could help myself to heal. And I had to accept that it wouldn't be a quick process. Um, And that's how I sort of came across a physiotherapy course that was being run. Um, I found a private women's health physio as well to give me a proper assessment first. So she went and did that and she gave me an initial program of exercises. And then I went and did this, this longer physiotherapy course that was about, I think six weeks of sort of intense pelvic floor work. And, and really by that point, my son was about six months old So I'd also stop breastfeeding then. And I think all those different things combined really helped me to heal. And, you know, I probably started running about a year later, but I was still having symptoms, but not to that same extent as in those early days. And I just took it really easy at first with the running. I was really frightened that it would get worse but my physio, my women's health physio that had done the proper internal examination, because that's the other thing, the gynecologist I went to see didn't even give me an internal examination until I insisted on it. Um, And even then she never really told me what was wrong. She just kind of went, yeah, yeah, you've got a prolapse, you know? So I knew nothing about the different terms or the different types of prolapse you can have. So the women's health physio that I went to see did that. And, um, Yeah, she then said to me, look, when you get to a point, just try and and have a run and see how you feel. And if you take it too far, she said, particularly, you've got to be a bit careful downhill because it's a bit more high impact, but just see how you feel. And I just slowly started to build up and I didn't actually find that it made my symptoms worse. And if anything, so now... I, I am, I'd say 95% symptom free. I have a bit of heaviness that I feel before I get my period. But other than that, I don't really have any problems. Um, but I do notice that if I don't exercise, and I mean, that doesn't happen very often, but if I sort of have a week off, I start to notice it again. So I, I strongly believe that exercise helps with my pelvic floor because I'm, I guess, engaging it without realizing. Um, but I don't know that from a professional point of view, although I'm sure that I think there are some professionals that would agree with that. Yes, you do. You, you, 
like you say, you unconsciously um, either squeeze or release mm. depending on the exercise that you're doing and depending on the stage, like especially with running, you sort of, um, Helen Keeble, she did a, a really interesting chat with um, Jocelyn Thompson-Raw on her podcast about some studies that have been, have been done about when we contract the pelvic floor and let go okay. during exercises. So 100% exercise is great for also almost passively exercising your pelvic floor. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I definitely find that, you know, uh, it doesn't, I've now gone on to run a marathon since having my third baby. And I did my first, in fact, I've done two marathons, I think now since he was born. And, um, and I also did my first ultra marathon and, and it was fine. I didn't have any problems at all. I mean, I felt pretty horrendous the next day, <laughs> but, but my pelvic floor was okay. Everything else hurt. You know what? It's it's really. Um, I mean, obviously, you're so, you're so passionate about running, and running is a is a huge part of who you are. So, you know, I'm really happy that you didn't take that first answer from the gynae as you know as your sentence almost as you know. Well, that okay. Well, there she knows what she's talking about, and she's told me I can't run again. So that's it. Yeah, I know. And the thing is that makes me sad is that there, I guess there would be some people that would take that advice and and just go with that and maybe not get a second opinion and you know i'd urge anyone that had that sort of experience to do that um, i suppose you know it was four years ago and i do think that the conversations are starting to change um but it's still seen as something that's embarrassing and that you shouldn't talk about and i suppose when i've now gone into my new career path i felt like I really wanted as part of the conversation, okay, you know, my, my new business is to sell activewear. However, I wanted the conversation to be around pelvic floor health and to make people feel that it is okay to exercise in pregnancy, that you can exercise again afterwards. And that actually it doesn't have to be a life sentence having some kind of pelvic floor dysfunction, that there is help out there and that it's nothing to be ashamed of because so many women have it and, and have it happen to them. Absolutely. And I think, you know, very sadly, it's, it, there is a lack of information of who to actually go to. So, you know, I've, you know, the women's health physio that, that we work with, she, she's seen people who have gone to see four different gynees who have all told her there's nothing we can do for you. So, you know, what's a person to do after you've been told four different times that there's nothing you can do. So, Again, it's trying to find, you know, even knowing what a women's health physio is for you to make that appointment with them in the first place. Absolutely. And actually, I, I don't understand why when people are seeing gynecologists that they're being told that because these are presumably people that have access to all the information. You know, they specialize in that area. I, it just, I find it flabbergasting that someone could go and see four gynecologists and get a similar response every single time. Because yet, yeah, like you say, if you don't know, you know, I'd never heard of a women's health physio before I went to see one and, and one was recommended to me. So unless you're getting those recommendations, you know, you need to know where to find that advice. And 
you know, there, there needs to be a huge change in the medical profession, actually, about how women are dealt with postnatally in terms of their overall postnatal care. There, there's a lot of conversation now around postnatal depression, a lot more understanding. That's something that's very common for, you know, happens to a lot of women. And, and I think that is something that the stigma around it seems to have gone, yet there's still this huge stigma around prolapse and it affects something like kind of 30 or 40% of women that have children. So that needs to change. Then the conversations around that need to change. Absolutely, because I'm sure a lot of that postnatal depression will also be linked to if you have um, any symptoms of prolapse or any other, you know, pelvic, um, pelvic floor dysfunctions, you know, yeah. you're feeling embarrassed, you're feeling, you know, you feel like you're not yourself again, you feel like your body has completely changed because you've given birth to, you know, your baby. So no wonder that so many women would suffer from postnatal depression, but again, not knowing who to see, not having those right conversations where people are almost exploring further what could actually be the root cause of it. Absolutely. It, yeah, a, a lot of work still needs to be done around that. Yeah, definitely. And I really feel for women and I hope that people pick up this podcast and, and other information that's out there to, to know that, you know, there is help if you need it, but you've just got to find it still first. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you've mentioned your, um, your new career, your new business that you're, you started called Natal Active. Yeah, so yeah. yeah tell us about that okay so probably by the time this podcast is launched hopefully the business will have been as well it's been a bit of a long time coming um, I found very much that when I had my children there was such a limited range of active wear for pregnant and breastfeeding mums and you know I was the mum along with many others that were making full use of our gym crash and and putting the babies in there and then you'd sort of be trying to squeeze boobs out of sweaty bras or if you did manage to find you know a feeding sports bra that there'd be uncomfortable plastic clips everywhere and it was just and and I just always felt there was something better and it's an idea I'd sort of had for a really long time and as my youngest was sort of starting school I thought right I've got I, I want to get back into something now. I feel ready and I still feel like there is you know there's more available now but still um, I think there's a, a gap in the market for stuff that also just looks really nice. And um, so I went away and did some research, came up with a number of designs. And so I'll be launching the range in June. I had originally hoped to launch a few months ago, but the whole COVID-19 issue around the world kind of put paid to a lot of the designs. So um, I'll be launching initially with a range of sports bras, um, a sort of long in which in fact I'm wearing it today a long sleeve feeding top with the with the zips you can see in yeah. there um and um and some leggings um that are suitable I, I was very conscious that I wanted things that you could wear when you're pregnant and afterwards because I know I didn't like to spend a lot of money on maternity specific things so I kind of designed the range around that and then in later in the summer it will be August or probably September time before I'm actually able to launch my proper runner's leggings but I've I'm going through a process at the moment to apply for patent protection so uh, it's taking a little bit longer than I had hoped but I've uh, designed some leggings that will be coming out that are I mean they're great for running they are great if you have any kind of just support requirements so there's sort of proper built-in support into these leggings um, 
so if you have um what's it called you know where your hips start to come out of alignment a bit and, and you have discomfort they provide that sort of comfort as well if you're not doing high impact sports but they were designed really for me as a runner with runners pregnant runners in mind so i'm very excited to get those out but they they won't be out till probably september time they'll be ready to go that's so exciting and i love the fact that it's inspired by your own your own journey and they sound like it would be it would be an answer to a lot of people's prayer yeah, I hope so. I'm really, really excited to just get it out there now. It feels like it's been brewing for such a long time. And, um, you know, I'm in the last few weeks now of trying to sort out when I'm going to get the photography done and how quickly I can just get everything live. It's almost like it's just ready to go, but I can't quite hit the button yet. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited. And actually, uh, it's really reinvigorated me getting as far as I have in terms of you know the connections I've made with different people and the amount of uh, you know people that share such fantastic advice and I was probably a little bit cynical about Instagram when I first started it and felt oh it's something you've kind of got to do but actually uh, it can be such a brilliant genuine place of finding connections and, and interesting people and so I'm really enjoying it and you know I'm very excited for where I've got big plans and I'm very excited for where it could go so I hope it kind of takes off like I'm like I'm hoping it will. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm very excited. I keep checking back actually to see, has she launched yet? Oh, I know, I know. It feels like it's just taking for ages because I think initially I was hoping to launch back in like February or March time, but um, I had problems with the designs of my running leggings. So that has ended up taking me, it will be nearly a year in the design process by the time they finally launch. Um, so I had a few issues there. And then with my other products, it was just the issues around factory shutting down. And, you know, even now it's just been a bit of a nightmare. Everything's taken longer. So we are where we are and it will be worth it when it finally gets there. Yeah. So I'm hoping for the second or the third week of June is what I'm targeting at the moment. So fingers crossed. <laughs> we'll keep everything crossed for you. I'm very excited to Thank see. Thank you. Loves to make sure that we share on our Instagram as well. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Fab, thank you so much, Claire. I've just got one more question for you. And that would be, what does being strong for every day mean to you? Yeah, I had a little think about this because I guess a very obvious connotation would be around physical strength. But I think there's a lot around mental strength that's quite important, especially as a mother. And, um, and that comes in many forms. So it's important to me, for example, to be active and strong. But that in turn makes me mentally and emotionally strong to, you know, deal with my family life and, and the challenges that that brings. But I think also it's having um, a bit of resilience and a bit of motivation as well in strength, because it's very easy, as we've talked about today, um, to lose yourself in those early days of having having children is really challenging. And one of the things that I've generally had but not always found easy is to have the motivation to exercise because I know that that's something that makes me feel better in so many different ways and it's very easy to lose that motivation when you're tired and your kids have had you up all night and you're struggling with whatever it is in the different stages that the children are at and, and even now mine are a little bit older I still have days like that um, 
So I think finding that, that motivation, that mental strength within the physical strength that you get from, from working out, to me, that's sort of what it means. It's kind of an all-encompassing philosophy, really. I love that. That's so great. Thank you so much, Claire. No, thank um, you. Lastly, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you? Yes, so you can find me on Instagram at natalactive or visit the website, which is www.natalactive.com. And we'll make sure to leave all of that in the show notes as well. Thank, thank you very much. Care. Thank you. Take care.